Chapter Four of Cross Currents. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The grey morning light had scarcely penetrated the little attic tenement when Mrs. McGinnis shook her son's arm. "Bobby, Bobby, wake up!" she urged in a hoarse whisper. "Run down to old Nancy's and see if you can borrow a little milk." That baby's got to have something fit to eat this morning. Bobby stirred sleepily. The next instant he had sprung to his feet at the sound of a heavy tread on the stairs outside. Golly, if it ain't Dad! He muttered as the door banged open. The woman did not speak, but she shrank back into the shadows. Over in the other corner, a blue-eyed child with rumpled yellow curls awoke and sat up with a frightened cry. Got anything to eat? Snarled the man, slamming the door behind him and shuffling into the room. Hello, who are you? He demanded as his bleared gaze fell on the little girl in the corner. Margaret was thoroughly frightened. Her dazed brain was just beginning to grasp her surroundings. Then, with a rush, memory came to her, and she made a desperate effort to be her father's own daughter. Good morning," she faltered. "If you please, sir, I—I'm Margaret." "Hm," grunted the man thickly. "Well, what are you doing here?" "Jack, don't," begged the woman, starting forward. "You're half drunk. Let the child alone." "Shut up," growled the man with an oath. Ain't I got a right to speak in my own house? Come, what are you doing here? He added, turning again to the girl. If you please, I am company. Choked Margaret. But I'm not going to stay long. Truly, I'm not. I'm just certain Mother'll come after me today. Well, she will if she knows what's good for her. Retorted the man. Then his eyes fell on the broad-brimmed hat with its blue ribbon. Oh ho! So these are the fine feathers my pretty bird wears," he chuckled disagreeably, as he caught up the hat and held it on a level with his eyes. "Look a here," he snapped, turning to his wife with a quick change of manner. "What's all this tomfoolery mean?" Why, Jack, it's only a poor little girl that got lost, and her mother. Mrs. McGinnis paused helplessly. Here, Mumsy, let me tell him," cut in Bobby, going close to his father's side, and whispering a few hurried words in the man's ear. As McGinnis listened, his face relaxed, a slow cunning came to his eyes, and an evil smile to his lips. Hm," <clears throat> he grunted, after a momentary pause. Well, I reckon then there ain't nothin' to prevent my makin' the most of these. And he gathered into his arms the hat, the black silk coat, the dainty little shoes, and the pretty white dress. Jack, what do you mean? You wouldn't pawn them? Screamed the woman, darting to his side and clutching at the garments in his hands. Wouldn't I? Sneered the man, pushing her off roughly. Well, you just wait and see. But her mother, her friends—if they should find her. Well, as near as I can make out, her mother won't be showing up here yet a while, and.
A scream from Margaret interrupted. "'You brute!' cried the woman, hurrying across the room and taking the child in her arms. "'How could ye tell her like that?' "'That's right. Pet her and coddle her. She's used to it. I'll be bound,' jeered the man. "'But I'll reckon she'll find out now quick enough that life ain't all sugar-plums. As for her fine friends, let them come. I'll show em what living is for the most of us.' And as for this finery here, I reckon a hard luck story about an extra mouth or feed'll fix that all right, eh? He finished with a grin. McGinnis was in better spirits than he had been in five minutes before. He could afford to joke a little. Did he not know that another hour would find him once more at Little Mike's and with the pleasant jingle of coins in his pocket? You are going to keep her then? gasped the woman. Sure, why not? She ain't good for much now, but she's growing. And even now I reckon she could sew on buttons and earn a penny or two for a poor old man like me. I hear Sullivan wants a couple more kids. I'll speak to him. Jack, shuddered the woman, tightening her clasp on the sobbing little girl in her arms. You wouldn't put her there. It would kill her. She ain't used to such work. Well, she will be before I get through with her, drawled the man. Then he whined mockingly. What would ye have a poor hard-working man do that's just taken in an extreme mouth to feed? The next moment, with an oath and a jeering laugh, he was gone. It was not an easy half-hour that Bobby and his mother spent then. There was no quieting the little Margaret until some explanation of the man's words had been given, and at last Mrs. McGuinness was forced to tell her that they feared her mother had fallen ill and would not be able to come for her for some days. It was scarcely better after that, for the child sobbed and cried and refused to be comforted. Even Bobby's frequent reference to the soldier father served but to make the sobs more prolonged. At last, however, tired nature conquered and the child forgot her sorrow in sleep. It was then that Mrs. McGuinness laid her guest gently down on the mattress and crossed the room to an old bureau. From the lower drawer she took out a faded, carefully mended little dress, valueless save to the mother eyes, that had seen it worn by the dear little daughter long since dead. She's just Mary Ellen's size, murmured the woman with a sob in her voice. And I'm going to let her have it, though I thought once I wouldn't never let anyone wear it again. End of chapter four read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.